And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton joining me this morning. Of course, Danny Ratliff, certified financial planner, will be joining us here shortly. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning, talking, you know, about markets and, you know, all those type of things, of course, as we do here every day. Uh, yesterday, of course, a bit of a disappointing day after the markets did start out on an up note. And, you know, in the morning we were up on the upside. Things were kind of looking good coming out of the gate. Um, and then the news came out. <laughs> Consumer sentiment. Uh, the conference board, so there's two measures of consumer sentiment that everybody watches closely. One is from the University of Michigan, and they report monthly, and they kind of tell us what uh, consumers are thinking about in terms of their present situation. That includes, you know, how they feel about, you know, their job. You know, do they have a job? Are jobs easy to get? Those type of things. Are they able to make ends meet? Uh, then they also have the expectations index. What do you expect about things in the future? Your job, those type of things as well. Um, also talking about inflation, a couple of different measures of inflation in the University of Michigan report. Uh, one year inflation expectations, five years, 10 years. What do you, what do you think inflation is going to be? Well, conference board pretty much the same way, has the same type of, of measures. But interestingly enough, now normally... These two measures, the one from the, the uh, United States Government Census Board and the one from the University of Michigan, tend to track fairly closely. Currently, we have a very big deviation in these two indexes. In fact, if you take a look at these indexes separately, the University of Michigan is very negative. People, according to the ones that the University of Michigan poll, they're very downbeat on the economy, expectations, inflation, et cetera. The conference board, yes, fell sharply yesterday, but is only back to where it was, you know, kind of basically March of 2020, maybe a little bit before that. Um, but it did have a big decline. But there's a very big gap currently between the University of Michigan index and the conference board. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything at the moment other than that probably the conference board indicator, and this is what started yesterday, is starting to play catch up with the University of Michigan. Now, what that suggests is, is that the data that the conference board is looking at is getting markedly worse and it's lagging the University of Michigan index at this point. So that's going to play catch up. Now, this is important because as that number came out yesterday, that's where the markets really fell apart. Because again, this is starting to put more pressure on this idea that we're getting closer to a economic recession than not. And that's really what these conference board and, and both the University of Michigan indicators tell us. In fact, we run a, a composite indicator of both those indicators put together. And that's already at levels that are normally associated with recessionary environments in the economy. And so when that data came out yesterday, uh, along with the Richmond Fed Index, which also had a very big decline, you know, we had talked about on Tuesday, the Dallas Fed Index had come out. 
talking about you know a, you know big decline in forward orders, new orders are dropping sharply, outlooks are, are markedly deteriorating. The Richmond Federal Reserve Index yesterday, another another one of the Fed regions in the country, along with the Philadelphia Fed, etc., are all showing the very same thing: new orders dropping off markedly, business new orders coming in not doing well inventory lead times dropping sharply demand really looking to slow down economically all those indicators all those uh, surveys are dropping into normally uh, either close to or into uh, recessionary territory so again doesn't mean we're in a recession right now these are all kind of real-time you know leading indicators of what's going on in the economy but that kind of really took the wind out of the cells yesterday now a couple of things from the market perspective. We had this very nice rally. Markets were up about 6.5% uh, last week. And as we talked about, this is, is portfolio window dressing week. So there's still going to be some buying here, hopefully, uh, over the, you know, today, tomorrow, Friday, as portfolios try to rebalance. But yesterday, the bad news is that markets ran right into resistance, right at the previous bottoms that we had seen back in mid-May. And so we had these bottoms in the first two weeks of June, took out those lows. Well, now those, those previous lows are now resistance on this rally. Market ran right into that, failed yesterday. Now, uh, you know, it's important here. Markets need to hold up to where they are right now. Otherwise, we're going to retest lows here very quickly. So if we don't get a rally today and tomorrow that gets us back up towards 3,900 on the S&P 500, we're going to retest lows and potentially set new lows. So again, you know, we took on a very small trading position on Monday. Um, we'll probably, if the markets don't hold up today, we'll have to take that position back off again because it was simply a trade for this kind of end of the month rebalancing. Uh, again, if that doesn't start to heal up today, we'll have to take that position back off because again, we'll retest lows. And most likely if we retest these recent lows here, um, right around 3640 on the index, we're going to be looking at 3500 to 3400 on the index next. So there is some significant downside here as we start pushing further into the summer months. And so we're going to kind of be paying attention to that as well. But August, September, uh, those are the months where typically uh, markets have a lot more difficulty kind of uh, surviving. <laughs> and for some reason, whenever there's a major crash, I don't know why that is. It's just something about that time of the year, the moon lines with Saturn or something, and you have market crash. But again, August, September tend to be two of the weaker months of the year. And so again, once we get through July, if markets are holding up, that'll be a good sign. If not, we're going to be testing lower levels. And again, whether markets start to hold up here or not, is going to be the realization of a recession. That's really the indicators. Uh, from a market decline perspective this year, we have done about most of the work for a non-recessionary decline. Uh, think about 2015, 2016. We had two 19% declines, had, had near bear market territories in both of those declines. Non-recessionary territory, we had a manufacturing recession going on, but um, didn't have a real, you know, broad economic recession. And that was about the bottom of the markets then. If we take a look at sentiment right now, extremely bearish. Take a look at positioning, extremely bearish. There's a lot of indicators right now that markets should be near a bottom, barring a recession. And that's going to be the big question here over the next few months is whether or not the Federal Reserve can navigate this market and whether or not the economy really is strong enough 
to avoid a recession. There's a lot of, of, of talk right now that the economy is very strong. Strong employment data, strong uh, you know, jobless claims data. Yes, that's true, but those are very much lagging indicators. The question is now gonna be whether or not high inflation, which is what we've got going on right now, which is impacting the standard of living for most individuals. $5 gallon gas ain't cheap. Can that keep consumers consuming enough to keep the economy out of a recession. Quick break, we'll come back, pick up with Danny Ratliff on the other side. Be sure you go by our website, latest blog post out from Michael Leibowitz this morning. Also, our daily market commentary is already posted this morning. I was up early. That's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Back to the show. Yes, if uh, you're on our YouTube channel, Brent Clanton crashed the Link Challenge bus this morning. <laughs> so <laughs> he's uh, still working on technical difficulties. Not funny. <laughs> I thought it was humorous. <laughs> it's just don't worry. It's just a few, you know, few rim scratches. We can we can buff those out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LeBron James, hundred and seventy million dollars. $170 million last year. Lionel yeah. Messi, $183 million. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing about this. And um, uh, Danny and I were, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning, certified financial planner. Uh, you know, we were talking about this off, off air for a second, uh, just on the break. And it's amazing how much, you know, some of these people make, particularly in the sports world. If you take a look kind of across sports, there's these very highly paid athletes um, that make just, Tremendous amount. Of, now, not all of it is salary. A lot of it also, too, when you look at gross incomes, it's also endorsements and sponsorships and all this other stuff, but just a tremendous amount of money. Here's the point about this. The average the average median wage in the U.S. is around fifty-five dollars to $58,000, um, and that was before you adjusted for inflation. Companies right now are replacing employees with robots uh, because of rising wages. There was a, one of the largest jumps in the in the orders of robots last year that we've seen on record as wages were increasing. And we and we wrote an article about the cost and consequences of fifteen dollar hour minimum wage. Remember that whole conversation? It's like we need a fair minimum wage, and it's like, hey, you can put people at fifteen bucks, but what companies will do is go out and replace them with a robot. Because a lot of jobs can be, you know, at $15 an hour, there's a lot of jobs that can be replaced by a robot because they're pretty much, you know, just kind of mundane jobs, you know, flipping hamburgers, whatever. They actually created a hamburger flipping robot, just as an example. 
Uh, so a lot of those jobs can be replaced with robots. And the great thing about robots is, is that once you pay for them, they're paid for and they don't ask for time off benefits, you know, those type of things, right? They show up every day to work. They're never late. Um, they get their show started on time and, you know, get things linked up. Um, but <laughs> these things, you know, this is what's happening in the economy. And this is what goes to the heart of a lot of these conversations that we have when we talk about, you know, a, a good example of this right now is like, is the economy going to go into a recession? Well, the uh, according to economists, the economy is very strong because there's this in, uh, a very high level of household savings. Well, the problem with that is, is that, yeah, there's a, there is a very high excuse me, very high level of household savings if you're in the top 10% of income earners, right? Because you've got a lot of discretionary income coming in and you weren't really spending it during the pandemic shutdown. You've got everything you need. You're not going to go out and buy another, you know, Rolls Royce or another mansion, you know, that type of thing because you've already bought everything you need. So once you're in those top earning income brackets, your spending pretty much stays the same regardless of what's going on in the economy. And if something happens in the economy where you don't travel, you don't go do things, well, you accumulate excess savings. However, once you drop below that level and get into really the bottom 89, 90% of the economy, there are no excess savings. They're all living paycheck to paycheck. Inflation hits those people very hard. So when you start talking about these guys that are making 170, 180 million, a billion a year, whatever it is, um, which is happening at this top end of the wealth income you know, gap, that's what's skewing all of this household saving data. So again, the economy isn't nearly as strong as it appears because you have a lot of excess savings that are held by that top 10% of income earners who aren't going to be spending anymore. They're already, they, they've never stopped their spending run to any great degree. They may take an extra trip this year or whatever because they got to make up for last year, but their travel habits, their spending habits... Once you're at that level, you're just buying what you want to buy. And it doesn't really matter. Inflation doesn't matter. You know, gas is $10 a gallon. So what? <laughs> you know, I just got $2 million last week on a paycheck. So, you know, I'm good. Think about $170 million. Uh, what was it? $170 million over what, four years? No, over one year. That was one year. That was one year. What they, what they pulled in from salary endorsements, all the things that they have coming gotcha. in. So one year. So take uh, 52 weeks a year, divided by $170 million, That's $3 million a week, a little more. So, yeah, you can afford $10 gas. Yeah. Don't complain. <laughs> yeah, no problem there. Well, the, the big problem is that most people can't. That is that is the far end of the spectrum here. Mm -hmm. You know, the average American, or well, I say the average, 40% of Americans, they don't have $1,000 in their savings account. Um, their rent increasing, that, that hurts. And 40% yeah. of Americans rent. So think about this. All the rental... Uh, you know, has gone way up. Yeah. So rentals have gone through the roof because prices have gone up. People are still buying them left and right, at least they were. I think we're going to begin to see that maybe higher rates are, are starting to impact that. And we're seeing less and less home flippers as, you know, mm -hmm. what we historically saw. I think the average it was like 22% of the homes sold were home flippers. Right. Or people buying them to to rent and then turn around and sell them later. Now it's, it's something like 10%. I think the access of capital is probably hurting them a little bit, yeah. um, increasing. But look, inflation's hurting. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, and it was interesting yesterday, you know, and this is part of this, this inflation issue that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months is that if you took it to uh, look at the Schiller case home price index came out yesterday, uh, that rose again, which again, those are that's 
you know, those home prices are what feeds into homes, home, what they call homeowners equivalent rent and the CPI. Um, so again, that's that upward pressure that makes up 42% of the CPI calculation, which is home prices. That data is from April. So that came out yesterday. So that April data will feed into the June CPI report. But that's what I was talking about earlier is talking about this big lag in the, in the data. It's going to take several months. Now, we already know that home prices are declining. We're watching supply of houses rise rather sharply. We have about 12 months worth of supply now in the market. So a big jump in supply of homes for sale. We already know that traffic, according to Redfin and a lot of other uh, you know indicators for new homes, is slowing sharply. So home prices, and again, we're watching uh, uh, other real-time data like how many people are cutting the price of their home to get it sold. We're watching those home price declines as well. So that's going to feed back into this data. But again, you know, by the time we get to the June data, <laughs> you know, April, May, June, you know, we're going to be August, September, October before we start seeing the real impact of home prices in the CPI data. So when you talk about inflation and what's happening there and what's what's going, but that doesn't even mean that food prices are going to be falling you know, that quickly or gas prices either. It's just those are much smaller components of the overall index. When you think about inflation, especially going back to homes, pre-pandemic, 20% of the homes went for over asking price. During the pandemic and after, mm -hmm. 55% of homes were going for higher than asking price. And so, you know, we talked to a lot of different realtors, people in the financial industry, real estate industry, and they're all saying, hey, it's not, you have to price these homes at more fair market value. Yeah. You're not going out there and they're not getting bid up as, as easily as they once were. So now people, they're seeing that you got to price it a little bit better. Things are taking longer uh, to sell. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what these numbers look like, like you said here in a couple of months, when we look back and say, okay, where we are today versus, you know, three months ago. Yeah, no, no, it, it's it's very true. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll see a lot of this starting to happen. And, and again, it also depends. But you know, what's interesting is, is when you take a look at home homeowner. Uh, I'll spit that out. When you take a look at home price appreciation, um, it was very broad across all levels mm -hmm. of of homes. Uh, there's a, some other Census Bureau data that I track on a regular basis in terms of homes, and we take a look at the you know what we call renters, and these are people that are renting existing homes, or um, people that are buying homes, right, or buying existing homes as well. And what we had for a very long time was home ownership was at the same levels it was basically in 1964, right? It's just home ownership had really, uh, following the financial crisis, home ownership had really dropped off. Well, over the last three years, because of all this money kind of going in, you know, pandemic funds, and like Danny was just saying, you know, people were running out and buying homes, and we saw, you know, big surge in millennials and 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 uh, younger people going out to buy houses, and so we had home ownership rates actually rise very sharply. But interestingly enough, since the beginning of this year, home ownership rate has dropped sharply, um, and the number of people renting houses are now back on the rise. And the, these two are non -cor are, are very non correlated. So when one rises, the other falls. And, and vice versa. So they're almost mirror images of each other. But it's interesting to see just since the beginning of this year, because of where home prices got to, because of rising interest rates, I can't afford to buy a house. All of a sudden, we're starting to see home ownership rates drop and, and the number of people renting properties back on the rise again. So again, I think uh, to your point, Danny, that tells you a lot about really kind of how financially strained a lot of people are. I mean, small changes to interest rates determines whether or not you can buy a house. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, it's huge. I had a conversation with a guy this last week who 
looking at home prices, man, I need to get out. I want to retire early. And so he said, give me some ideas. What can I do? Because I know I can't go out and rent because my rent will be much more expensive than my mortgage right now. Yep. So I think you'd be surprised. What do you mean? Um, rents, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing that right now. Yeah. Right. Um, I was surprised at some of the rental prices that are available. Really? Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're not cheap, yeah. mind you, but they were cheaper than my mortgage. So, Fair enough. you know, and so, you know, when I, when you take a look at. Well, look, when you're that, asking people to put a moat around your rental property, I mean. Exactly. You know, on. and alligators are hard to, you know, upkeep, but it kept you out of my house. That's true. Um, you know, but, 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 you know, there are alternatives, but again, it's Correct. also a function of, of choices, right? There. So, you know, it's, you, you can't, you know, go rent, you know, just anything you want. You've got to be willing to sacrifice a little bit, but you can make it work. No, you can. And I mean, I've talked to people who are talking about, look, we're going to go live in our camper or our RV mm-hmm. for a while. We're going to put in a permanent spot and we're going to save quite a bit. Yeah. And so if you can do that and start making some of these sacrifices along the way, I think you're going to come out on top. Like this guy's looking at and saying, hey, I don't think prices are going to continue to rise the way that they have. If I can get out of this right now, I'm going to be in a much better situation financially. I get money in my pocket. Let me take advantage of this equity. And it's going to put me on track to retire earlier. Yeah. Not well, a bad and, thing. And that's, and that's really our, our, our choice, which is, is downsize a bit. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to college. Yep. Downsize, rent for a while, um, closer to the office so I don't have to drive. You know, and yeah. we'll, we'll save a good bit of money that way. Not a bad idea. Yep. You're still not going to let me retire, are you? Plan says no. <laughs> Damn it. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Inflation, of course, is, uh, you know, kind of the big talk as we were, you know, as of late, it just impacts everybody. We were talking earlier on the show about the average American doesn't have $1,000 in the bank, can't make ends meet, of course, is a problem. Um, you know, it's interesting, 4th of July is uh, right around the corner. And, you know, the cost of your 4th of July food is, you know, going to go up because I guess the question is, how big is your hot dog going to be this year, Danny? Uh, for many, it's not going to be very big. I mean, if you look at the cost, inflation's through the roof on food right now. I mean, ground beef's up 36%. Chicken is up 33%. Now, there are two things that you you may want to be able to do. So strawberry shortcake, strawberries are down 16%. Okay. And cheese sandwiches. 
I'm not coming to your house for the 4th yeah, Cheese sandwiches. So cheese is down <laughs> Grilled cheese sandwiches at Danny's house. Yeah. Nothing says happy Independence Day like grilled <laughs> cheese. That's right. That's right. What do you but, have on your grill today? Cheese. <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, you know, that we, we combat inflation two ways. So it'll be interesting to see when I talk about, you know, when you go to the store to buy hot dogs, you know, you, know, you see a lot of shrinkflation. That's right. Uh, going well, on in, food. in everything. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. You look at the, uh, you know, bag of chips. We always talk about that. Um, you know, it gets smaller and smaller. I think Oreos, yeah. uh, same deal. And so as you look at these things, they've, they've gotten very manipulative in how they do this because the packaging still the same, but you realize instead of 16 ounces, it's 14 ounces. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's very, very you know, it's like, uh, reminds me of George Costanza, you know, it was in the pool, Jerry. <laughs> so you know yeah. shrinkage and but yeah it's happening everywhere um you know this is and we're going to see more of that and of course my wife just took this uh, uh one of those uh mail-in allergy tests okay right food allergies to yep. look at and and of course you know her favorite two of her favorite things in the world are eggs she loves eggs and chicken right she eats a lot of chicken and of course she's sending her food allergy test and it comes back she can't have chicken can't have turkey can't have, oh man <laughs> can't have eggs so you know she's pretty much miserable right now but you know this uh, i said how do you look on the bright side at least you have steak right that's true still on the list i mean of course it's going up yeah everything i mean it's just it's so, astronomical yeah so we just don't feed her and she's been cranky lately so hangry <laughs> very yeah, <laughs> it's it's been tough. We can't do that in our house. <laughs> Kids, wife, everybody know. Yeah, exactly. Here, but, honey, do you need a Snickers? Well, you know, but to, to make it to make ends meet, though, people are taking on part time jobs. Uh, article out today. You got to. The, the headline is interesting. You know, this is like you know how many people think you're an above average driver? Eighty percent, right? So, ninety three percent of working Americans have a side hustle. 51% are considering it due to inflation, uh, according to a new study. So, but 93% of Americans now, you know, now what, what are we talking about in terms of side hustles, right? Now, are we talking about, you know, full, yeah, kind of, you know, part-time jobs working at the local mm-hmm. convenience store? What are we talking about? No, side, the most popular side hustles are taking uh, 95% of those that have a side hustle make their money taking online surveys, so, Online surveys. Yes. So all you know, all these surveys that come out constantly, right? Yeah. You can now you they'll pay you like a dollar or two dollars to take a survey, whatever it is. So in the form of a gift card that you can't use at the store. Probably. Yeah. Um, but that's their side hustle. Um, is taking a long su- a survey. Uh, the other side of that is eighteen uh, percent uh, also sell items online. Do freelance work online? There's a you know online apps you know like Fiverr and others where you can you know sign up if you've got a particular trade craft of some sort. You know you're a you're handyman whatever. You know you can put your skills up online and have people contact you to go do you know work uh, part time. Um, selling used clothes online. Uh, this this would be a job that my wife could do for the next twenty years. Um, And just actually having a part-time job was about 6% of those people surveyed. Uh, That's actually a part-time job working, you know, somewhere else for somebody else. But it was interesting that a lot of people, so out of the survey, 63% of those said that they need it for a little additional cash. 28% said that they need it due to inflation going up. They They just need it. And this is what we're talking about earlier is that people just need an ability to create some additional income to help cover bills. Um, as they come in. So, so not surprising, you know, people are starting to, and again, kind of in this gig economy, which, you know, really started with, 
you know, the rise of the smartphone uh, uh, about a decade ago, we had all these abilities, again, you know, talking about apps that you can sign up for where you can do certain things. And if you are on TikTok or one of the social media channels, there's a tremendous number of people that come online that say, that tell you how to sign up for certain things, become a, um, you know, an advocate for some product or whatever, and people will pay you for doing this stuff. And there's all these kind of tricks that you can do online to generate revenue um, to pay bills. The average uh, income for men is about $596 a month. Uh, for women, it's about $378 a month. So according to the survey. I wonder what the disparity is there. What's the difference? Um, I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really break it down into to what, why there's a disparity of income, probably on, you know, the, the ability to do different types of jobs. So for instance, if I'm, you know, I can be, I can probably make more money as a handyman. Yeah. Right. Um, which are mostly male dominated jobs. Correct. So I, I, I'm just guessing, I don't know, but that would. Yeah. It makes be, sense. Yeah. So anyway, it was interesting. That is interesting to think that so many people are looking at alternative aspects to, you know, bring in additional income, which I always think is great, but it's, I guess it's shifted as far as what people are doing, where that side hustle used to Mm -hmm. be, you know, working at a, somewhere at night or stocking shelves or, um, you know, now Uber drivers, things like that. And for people to sit at home and take surveys. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's all kinds of things you can do. But how much money are you getting from that? And think about, I'm just trying to think from a tax perspective, what a pain in the rear for somebody who maybe didn't have to even worry about filing, you know, taxes or probably had a very easy tax scenario. Their situation changes when you get a bunch of 1099s for. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Um, You know, but that's also kind of the interesting thing about selling stuff online. If you just put stuff up on Facebook and sell it for cash. Yeah. Don't have to pay taxes. It's true. Oh, you should pay taxes, right? But I'm just not, (laughs) I'm just saying who reports it, so. Well, that's right. I mean, I think that's like you see a lot of waiters and waitresses that probably yeah. don't report everything. And, um, you know, there's avenues for you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But this kind of goes back to, you know, also too when, you know, people are trying to save up for college. You know, I've got two kids getting ready to leave for college and just, just right around the corner. You know, 529 plans have been a uh, kind of a big source of college funding or college savings, I should say. Um, gross tax deferred, has a lot of benefits, take the money out tax-free if you pay for certain college expenses, et cetera. Um, some changes coming to that, though, apparently? Well, we hope. There's actually legislation out because I think one of the bigger problems that people run into is they think, okay, well, I'm going to put these funds aside, not going, if they don't use it for college, you know, you can use it, move it over to somebody else, change the beneficiary if it's in the immediate family. But most people are concerned on, well, what happens if we don't use all these funds? We take them out. And then you get the pen, you get penalized because you're not using it for education and you pay taxes on all of it. And they say, well, maybe it's not the smartest investment. So there's actually legislation out that's going to potentially allow if this goes through. I'm not sure you know, how, yeah. how much legs this has. I mean, we, these are things we talk about and then nothing ever comes to fruition. But there, there's talks that it's going to allow you to move those funds into a Roth IRA, which I think would be fantastic. Yeah. So if you don't use them for the purposes intended, which is college education, you know, tuition, room and board, uh, you know, books. travel to and from books. I mean, there's it's pretty wide spectrum as far as what you can use this. It's not just for college; it's for higher education. Um, it could be for a trade school, and there's actually been changes to allow you to use it for secondary school prior to college. So, there's some great avenues. Most people use it for college because you're going to save, start early, and you're going to put funds aside, hopefully on a regular basis, and have those funds grow over a long period of time. But the bigger concern is hopefully going to be mitigated here by allowing people to put those funds and roll them over to the Roth to continue 
that tax-free growth, which is yeah. going to be, which I think is fantastic. Well, and, and too, I mean, you know, what a lot of people don't know about 529 plans is, you know, I've got four kids. So let's say I bought the 529 plan for my oldest kid and he decides not to go to college. Well, I can pass it to one of my other kids. Correct. And, you know, so if I buy four of them, you know, for each of the kids and one of them decides not to go or changes their mind or whatever, um, besides y'all are going to have to find them buried in, in the back 40. Um, but, you know, I can combine, I can roll that down to, you know, roll what was not used into the other 529 plans to be used. So there's a lot of flexibility to 529 plans that are, are great for, you know, saving and paying for college. Yeah, I think that it's been, it seems like it used to be, you know, it was the number one place for people to put funds for college for quite some time. Yeah. But here recently, I don't know if it's the uh, just changes on how people view it. Uh, people are deciding maybe not to utilize them as often. And then there's also some caveats surrounding, you know, who owns it, who's the, the custodian on the account. And that's another big aspect of it uh, because you don't want to mess up. You know, we've been doing webinars on FAFSA. Um, you can actually go look them up on our YouTube channel. Uh, Chris Levum, he's an expert in this area. And, you know, we've discussed this on air, but you want to make sure that you own these in the right places because if you go file for FAFSA looking for uh, grants or student aid, it can actually negatively impact you if you don't do set these up properly. Yeah, that's that's right. And and again, you know, this is also you know part of you know the whole issue with you know financial aid, scholarships, all that. You got to be very careful um, about what you you know what you gift to children too. So if you're gifting to kids, um, you know, doing the annual gift tax, estate, whatever, and you're building assets up in their name that can impact them from getting, you know, access to grants. You know, there's, there's a lot of, of, you know, of things you can get tripped up on pretty, pretty quick, you know, trying to get, you know, federal, federal assistance for, for college. Yeah, and that's another aspect, too. A lot of people don't even fill those forms out, and I think everybody should because you don't want to leave anything on the table, potential for grants. Um, you know, we want to look for scholarships, look for all different types of, of ways to pay for college. And yet we're so hung up on trying to pay for it ourselves and save, which is fantastic, right? I want everybody to take that personal responsibility. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of scholarships, a lot of grants that go unused. Exactly, it does. And, you know, and of course, a lot of parents also make the mistake of, hey, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my retirement to pay for my kid's college. That's a big one. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show. Get ready to wrap things up this morning. Danny Rattler joining me. Futures have turned around this morning. We were a little bit negative after yesterday's sell-off. Market futures are turning up now. 
Uh, Dow's up about 32 points. NASDAQ's heading back towards flat. S&P's up about two points. Uh, again, as I noted at the beginning of the show this morning, yesterday's sell-off was you know, a bit surprising um, because we had, had such a strong week last week, ran right into resistance. Markets turned around yesterday. Pretty big sell-off, uh, really on the back of pretty dismal economic news coming out. Again, it's just been one kind of bad report after another. Yesterday was the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index, took a big tumble. Um, also, consumer sentiment, also from the census board, took uh, from the conference board, took a big drop as well. Um, all of those, you know, suggesting that a economic recession is pending. Now, whether or not we can avoid that is going to be an entirely different story. But as we started out talking uh, talking about it on the show, you know, one, you know, a lot of economists are looking at. Well, we have very high savings rate. We've got all this cash, you know, sitting out there. There's, you know, people are doing fine. They've got plenty of money. You know, consumers doing okay. Uh, yeah, you know, the problem is, is once you strip down and look at the, kind of the median and, and bottom levels of individuals, that's not really the case. Um, they're spending everything they have, plus some. Um, we run an indicator on our website every now and then uh, in our articles talking about the savings gap. And what the savings gap looks at is inflation-adjusted standard of living going back to 1960. And then we look at that standard of living compared to how much people have in savings and in incomes. So you have your savings in your bank, you have your income coming in, that's what you're living on. And how much does it require in debt? How much additional debt do you have to take on every year just to meet that standard of living? And up until about 1990, people didn't have to take on debt to sustain that standard of living. Starting in 1990 and really 2000 in particular, um, because we all decided we wanted to live in bigger houses and we had low interest rates so we could afford to buy things and we started doing adjustable mortgages and started really increasing our standard of living, it now requires about $6,000 a year in debt just to, along with all your savings and income, just to make ends meet. And that's why so many people are in debt. That's why we continue to see record levels of credit card debt and we see these type of things because... It's just for a large chunk of Americans, it is a function. If they don't have that credit card debt available to them, they can't pay bills. We're so concerned with the government running a deficit, yet most households do. Yeah, by a large, by a large margin. Yeah. Well, and I think this is a, it's a leveraging of everything, right? The financialization of it all where people can leverage, it's easy, and it allows you to you know, have a higher standard of living. But you have to remember, you're robbing from your future every time that you're u utilizing debt yeah. in this way. I mean, I think there's great ways you can use you can use leverage, but it's unfortunate that many people are just u utilizing it for their day-to-day -day needs. Yeah, and it's interesting too, because you know it, it's true. You know, We've given people access to money in just all kinds of different ways, you know, credit cards, cheap loans, this, that, the other thing. You know, 401k plans. Um, I got an email yesterday, um, and we've written articles in the past talking about the dangers of 401k loans and you you should not ever take out a 401k loan it's you know there's a lot of myths around oh but it's cheap money they don't charge me very much money i can borrow against my 401k plan and then i can pay it back sounds great on the surface but there's a whole lot of bad that goes along with that first of all you're borrowing dollars from your 401k plan that you put in pre-tax and you're paying that back with after-tax dollars so you're completely negating the whole purpose of the pre-tax savings that you put in. Plus, you're accruing an interest payment on that, and those funds aren't growing. But one of the big problems, and this was the email I got yesterday, 
and particularly if you have a 401k loan right now and you're at risk of losing your job, if you lose your job, that 401k loan has to be settled. And it has to be settled like right now. So, you know, this, these are the risks that occur and why, you know, not all leverage and not all debt is good debt. There's certain debt that's that's doable. And there's and, and certainly if you're buying a piece of real estate, that's good leverage, right? I can buy a house, you know, I'm, you know, I'm buy a $500,000 house for, you know, $50,000 down if I'm putting 20% in. I'm sorry, $100,000 if I'm putting 20%, $50,000 at 10 You know, nowadays you can get a loan for three. So you can get a lot of leverage on a house. That's okay as long as you can afford the mortgage payment. There's a lot of debt that's not good debt. Credit card debt and borrowing against your 401k plan is not a good idea. Well, well, let's take a step back on the 401k plan. So most plans will allow you to, to take 50% of the value that you have in the account. That's right. And so that's just easy math. You have 100000 you can take 50000 So what Lance is referring to is that if you quit your job, you lose your job, that 50000 becomes taxable income almost immediately. Most of the time, they're not going to allow you to continue on a payment plan because you're no longer, you no longer have a paycheck that they can pull from to, to repay that loan. Right. And so people get their tax bill like, holy smokes, I just had an additional X amount of income that was realized that they didn't think that they were going to have to worry about. And so yeah. it's, a lot, it's something that catches a lot of people by surprise. First of all, we don't want, you know, we call that leakage, right? There's so many... Uh, there's so many holes in the dam, right? And we don't want that to be one of them. And unfortunately, you know, many people use it as an easy way to access funds. Our argument is always, you know, we talk about the hierarchy of savings. We want to have the emergency fund, the financial vulnerability cushion. The 401k should be one of the last places you go towards because that's not designed for your immediate needs. It's not designed for things that you you want right now. Now, granted, if you absolutely need it, yeah, it's going to be there. But I would say that I would I would exhaust all other avenues before you touch that 401k or IRA for that matter, because that is intended for retirement. And especially when you don't have your human capital, which you would hopefully obviously have while you're still working. So I always encourage people to stay away from that. I think here at RIA, um, you know, you would hear that as a, a resounding, um, you know, bell from everybody that do not touch that. Yeah. And it is, it's just, there, there's so many things that you don't realize when you get into 401k loans, um, tax consequences, how would the impact of paying, you know, paying back the loan with after tax dollars. I mean, there's a lot of these other nuances that a lot of people just don't consider and they just look at it as, oh, it's cheap money and I can just pay it back and it's all fine. But it's not really as clean and as simple as, you know, a lot of people kind of take it to be at the surface. So and the, the point is, is really do your homework. And, and again, I think the, the government's done a lot of disservice to people as well. You know, when we got into the pandemic, they said, oh, yeah, you know, you can you can, you know, access your 401k plan early. You know, that's not really helping people. The average, the median 401k plan is about one year salary, which is fifty five to eighty thousand dollars. The average retiree has about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars on average in their 401k plan that's not going to get you through retirement. So the last thing you really want to be doing is that's your retirement bucket. You know, if you've got nothing else going on in terms of savings, and for a lot of people, their 401k plan is all they have, man, start selling stuff at home, you know, before you touch that 401k plan, because that's all you've got in a lot of cases for retirement. Well, you know, you could take a cue from Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, they've cut down their AC. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, hey, inflation hurts and hits everyone. So cost of utility prices have gone way up. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that people can do. 
And, you know, one thing I see, Lance, especially with the 401k loans, is usually people are using these for things they want, not necessarily what they need. Oh, you know what? I'm going to use it for the backyard pool. We're going to use it for, um, mm. you know, a, a new vehicle or whatever it may be. Yeah, and cheap it, money. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, you feel like, okay, well, it's already here. I'm not going to pay any interest. I'm paying myself back. The interest goes back into the 401k. And it's just not always the best avenue to do so. So take that, you know, I'd, I'd use that very cautiously. Um, but there are ways that you can cut back, Lance. I think that's what we're seeing more and more people do. It's interesting. I saw an article that said financial advisors should not use the word inflation because it's going to scare people into uh, cutting back. Well, I think people are already doing that. And I don't think that's something that we need to shy away from. I think it's something we need to address head on. And many people don't even know what their own inflation is. You know, we talk about the Atlanta Fed, uh, you know, coming out with their own inflation numbers. Um, you can go you can go to, uh, they actually have a tool and a calculator that you can see what your inflation is for your age and demographic. But I think it's one of those things where people, you know, the, we talk about the four-letter word in financial planning, and it's a budget. Nobody wants to yeah. ever do a budget. But the great thing about a budget, especially in a time like this, is that you can actually calculate and understand what your own inflation is just from what you spent last year to what you're spending now. And then that gives you some ideas as far as maybe other ways that you can cut back. And I'm telling you, uh, you know, we visit with people every day and there are a lot of people who are cutting back in many different ways. And, you know, when once we see these higher prices, I think, you know, like you've always said, uh, you know, the cure for high inflation is high inflation. And we're beginning to see that now where people are saying, you know what, maybe we're going to we're going to veer and go a different route here. We're not going to spend as much. We're going to cut back on our trip. We're going to find other avenues to save money. Or we may we may see our shopping will change. You know, we've seen Procter and Gamble, uh, you know, Kimberly Clark. These guys are all coming out saying the consumer is changing. They're buying the the discount brands now. They're shopping differently. They're clipping coupons. And I think that we're going to see more and more of that. And as that changes, um, you know, that that does become deflationary at some point. I think we're more concerned about you know disinflation or stagflation at the moment, though, right? That's right. That's right. Um, you know, so. Get ready to wrap up the show this morning. Danny, any uh, last-minute comments or events coming up we need to know about? I think our next event is not till August 4th. August 4th. So we're actually doing Inflation Nation. So this is going to be our next webinar, uh, August 4th. Richard and myself, will, we're going to talk about all the things that you can do to keep more money in your pocket. What are other things that you should be thinking about at this moment? And then obviously, you know, what's on everybody's mind, you know, investments in this time. Um, how do you invest? What do stocks, bonds look like? And, you know, that's one of the things that it's tough to navigate for many because these areas that have typically been um, kind of a safe haven, they haven't been so this year. Yeah, it's been. It's, <laughs> yeah, things haven't worked out exactly as everybody planned. Correct. Yeah, even Kathy Wood. Oh, man, <laughs> so. especially Kathy Wood. <laughs> All right, that wraps up the show for the day, of course. Uh, NASDAQ futures have now turned positive. They're up about 14 points this morning. S&P up as well, Dow up. Um, so we'll see if this kind of early morning enthusiasm can follow up and reverse some of those losses from yesterday as we get ready to wrap up the end of the quarter. Still have that end of the quarter uh, window dressing going on here. We'll see what uh, happens over the next couple of days. Uh, be sure and stick around. Our three minutes of markets coming up. Danny, thank you so much today. Thank you. Uh, get Mike Leibowitz's latest article on the website. And make sure and check out our digital platform, SimpleVisor.com, where you get all of our research and uh, portfolios there as well, SimpleVisor.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. Uh, we'll get with Michael Leibowitz on the Fed and what happens next on interest rates and inflation. See you then. It's a rich man's world.